This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The conduct that was substantiated was the antithesis of what the public should expect from a police officer. Off the force, a police officer fired over nude photos. We worked very, very hard. Uncertain future, BC's migrant caregivers plead for answers from Ottawa. I wouldn't uh, expect that this would be easy. And the Senate adjourns a vote that would end the Canada Post dispute. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. A West Vancouver police officer has been fired for committing dozens of offenses, including sending nude pictures of himself to victims of domestic violence. As Paul Johnson reports, the acts were committed over several years before someone stepped forward. We had a complaint from an individual regarding communications uh, sent and received by one of our officers. The allegations are so outrageous that if true, West Vancouver police were dealing with nothing short of a creep cop. The conduct that was substantiated was the antithesis of what the public should expect from a police officer. Among the long list of stunning accusations, investigators say the officer used his work cell phone to send naked pictures of himself to several women, some of whom he'd made contact with because they were possible victims of domestic violence. Others were women he'd stopped for routine traffic issues. They say he improperly used police databases to look up information on women he was interested in and on at least one occasion gave a woman a ticket, cancelled it, then pursued a relationship with her. This matter was very serious. So much so that outside investigators from the Vancouver Police Department were called in. The officer was pulled off of active duty, and while there wasn't enough evidence to support charges, he never returned to the beat and was ultimately fired. The public has every right to expect the highest standard of conduct from officers and has every right to expect that if officers are found to have fallen below those standards, that they'll be held accountable. Paul Johnson, Global News. A Vancouver house fire today has prompted a warning from fire officials. Be careful when stringing electrical cords this holiday season. This home near Granville and 41st was badly damaged by smoke and flames late this morning. Firefighters were slowed by a large amount of furniture and debris on the main floor. The lone occupant, a retired doctor, managed to get out alive but was treated for smoke inhalation. Investigators suspect it was an electrical fire that started in the kitchen. If we have power bars or electrical bars, don't use too many of them. Don't run them in relays, okay? Um, when we overload our electrical services and the breakers kick off, that's a signal that we're overloading our electrical facilities. An 80-year-old woman has been taken to hospital after being burned in a Vancouver apartment fire early this morning. Crews were called to the three-story building in the 700 block of West 8th Avenue just after 2.30. 
It's not known how badly the woman was injured. The fire was contained to her suite and everyone else got out okay. Investigators have determined the fire was accidental but could not say exactly how it started. A sad story out of the South Okanagan where a woman has been killed in a mobile home fire. The park had been closed and everyone evicted, but with nowhere else to go, she remained with little protection. Jules Knox has the story. It was uh, a pretty harrowing scene. A roaring fire with flames leaping into the trees, incinerating a mobile home near Penticton early Friday morning. Pretty big inferno. I could feel the heat on my face when I opened my door and about 100 foot flames shooting in the air. So it was uh, pretty intense. 65 year old Christine Giles died trapped inside. I was devastated. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe that uh, this is the way my sister had to die, you know. And, and uh, she had to die because somebody wanted her home and wanted to make her homeless. This property on Penticton Indian Ben land is slated for development. There are still some people living here, but the entire mobile home park was given eviction notices for the end of September. Forrest says her sister had been told she could stay for a little longer. Now the family is left heartbroken, digging through the rubble. All I found was two, two trinkets that uh, we, can, we can keep as keepsakes from her place. Forrest says her sister struggled with depression, but remembers her as a talented artist with a love of gardening. Didn't ask for much. She wasn't one to want to go around seeing the world or doing anything extravagant. She was happy to get up in the morning, come out and putter in. She used to call it the Ponderosa. The cause of the fire is still under investigation, but police say at this time no foul play is suspected. The owner of the mobile home park could not be reached for comment. As for Forrest, she says her sister likely had a fire on, her power was off, and she needed heat. However, I think all these, all these other circumstances led up to, this, to her demise. And she says more needs to be done to protect those evicted from their homes with no place to go. Jules Knox, Global News, near Penticton. More than 20 centimeters of snow made for a slow drive on the Coquihalla overnight. Some drivers reported being stuck for more than 90 minutes at Box Canyon due to a crash. Several crashes were reported as well as a jackknife semi. Environment Canada says about 24 centimeters of snow fell on the mountain pass overnight. A terrorist man struck and killed by a hit and run driver is being remembered this weekend. Cameron Kerr's hockey jersey was carried off the ice as the Terrace Rec League honored their fallen teammate at Thursday night's game. Early last Sunday, Kerr was walking home along Highway 16 when he was struck by a pickup truck four kilometers west of Terrace. The driver fled and Kerr's body was discovered in the ditch. Police located what's believed to be the suspect truck on Haida Gwaii Tuesday and have identified a lower mainland man as the alleged driver. The Terrace River Kings will pay tribute to Kerr before their home game this evening ahead of a memorial for him Sunday at Thornhill Community Centre. Canada's defence minister had a brush with the gang lifestyle while growing up in South Vancouver. Today, he was in Surrey to help launch a new cadet squadron that he hopes will draw young people away from the deadly violence that's plagued the community. Jill Bennett reports. 
When the call went out for cadets to join this squadron in Surrey, the response was huge. The program aims to help young people become good citizens and develop an interest in the various activities of the Canadian Forces. Flying always, always intrigued me, and so that's why I joined cadets. Organizations like this are also a welcome addition in communities where there is a pull for young people to go a different direction, one that could lead to gangs and criminal activity. We teach them a lot of different skills, again, like leadership, survival, effective speaking. All of these aid in making good decisions along their path to life. In Surrey, there has been a spate of gang-related shootings and targeted murders, the death of young men prompting rallies for something to be done. Even Canada's defence minister, who was by all accounts the star speaker at the cadets' official chartering ceremony, has spoken about watching as high school classmates were tempted by the gang lifestyle. Harjit Sajjan went to school with Bindi Johal, one of BC's most notorious gangsters, who was gunned down in 1998. The path that, you know, early on, which might seem really cool, might seem fun, uh, and you might be tempted to be sucked in, into it. It is not a path that you're going to be able to uh, uh, contribute to your community and the self-worth and the self-resilience that you get is not the is, is not the one that you want. That message is probably already clear for many here but it's also one directed at those who are younger and just starting to get involved. So cadets is amazing I think at keeping youth in channeling their energies in a positive manner. I do think it keeps them away from uh, from from criminal activities or getting into drugs and gangs and things like that. Jill Bennett, Global News. She came to Canada hoping for a better life for her and her family back in the Philippines, but it certainly hasn't turned out that way. And the pending end to the federal government's permanent residency program is only adding to the uncertainty for Maria Cano and thousands of others like her. Nadia Stewart explains. So far, Maria Cano's life in Canada isn't the one she'd always dreamed of. In my experience, it's so sad because I lost three jobs. Until now, I'm struggling to look for new employers. And I'm struggling to be, get my papers and to continue my life here in Canada. She came here in March 2017 to work as a live-in caregiver. To date, Kano's had three different contracts in three BC cities. And she says employers have not always treated her and others like her fairly. Employers, in my experience, did not follow the contract. They never respect it. They never respect the person who's working with them, who's taking good care of their children. Adding to her pain, the anxiety of uncertainty. Kano is one of many live-in caregivers who came to Canada as part of a five-year pilot project, one set to expire on November 29, 2019. Advocates say the Trudeau government has said nothing about what comes next for these workers who thought the program would be a pathway to becoming a permanent resident. They came to Canada uh, with the understanding that they would be able to apply for permanent residency after completing the work requirement of 24 months of full-time work. Natalie Drolet with the Migrant Workers Centre says most of these caregivers are women from developing countries. She says government's handling of this program runs counter to their approach to improving the lives of women here. The government has really left caregivers in the lurch. NDP immigration critic Jenny Kwan questioned the Prime Minister this week about what's being done. Our immigration minister is working so hard with a broad range of immigration and advocacy groups to respond to their concerns to make Canada's immigration system continue to be the example to the world that it is. But Cano's dreams of this world-class system have long since been shattered. It's really saddened me because Growing up, I have a good vision about Canadians and a good Canadian government who are going to embrace people for diversity. Nadia Stewart, Global News.
Vancouver's koi-eating otter continues to outsmart the humans. More than 24 hours after the Vancouver Park Board announced it was turning to a wildlife relocation expert to trap and relocate the otter, the animal still hasn't been caught. It has made international headlines for managing to eat at least seven adult koi from the pond at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden in Chinatown over the past week. Now the question being asked on social media, are you team koi or team otter? The hashtag otterwatch2018 has been trending on Twitter. Vancouver-based blog Chinatown Today is taking it one step further, creating team otter and team koi buttons. The otter even has its own Twitter account. Welcome back to the news hour. If Ottawa has its way, Canada Post's striking workers will be back on the job early next week. MPs work late into the night with a majority finally voting in favor of a bill that would get Canada Post functioning at full capacity. But as Global's Mike Couture reports, the bill is now in the hands of the Senate. Now we're told by people here in the Senate the last time the upper chamber sat on a weekend was to pass back-to-work legislation to get postal workers back on the job back in 2011. Now, it has been a long day by Senate standards here. They've been sitting since 11 o'clock talking to, as part of the Committee of the Whole, as they call it, the Minister for Labour, Patty Haidu, also the CEO for Canada Post, and the union leadership for CUPW. Uh, most of the questions have come around how this legislation would continue to protect those workers' right to collective bargaining. It all follows a long night on the other side of the House, in the House of Commons, when MPs debated well past midnight this legislation and there, the emotions ran high. We know that negotiated agreements... Now that was unionized postal workers who were shouting at the Labour Minister, Patty Haidu, right before she rose to speak yesterday around 9 o'clock in the House of Commons. She told us after she spoke in the Senate today that she understands how difficult of a process this is for those workers, and she wanted to reassure them that even if back-to-work legislation passes, that she will work and make sure that they do have their collective bargaining rights enshrined. Uh, and that same type of talk came from the CEO of Canada Post. Our negotiators have never left the table. Um, I personally have been interacting back and forth with negotiators as, uh, as the mediator was brought in for the last period and, uh, and ideas uh, were going back and forth trying to get to an agreement. Uh, it's absolutely untrue that we haven't been fully at the table and still trying to get a collective agreement. Now, legislatively, the process will continue not tomorrow as they expected to sit, but rather on Monday at 2 p.m. where this bill will go to third reading. All of this means is that the legislation will pass and then they will be legislated back to work as early as Tuesday at noon. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. New details are emerging about why a Liberal MP is quitting politics. In a statement yesterday, the Prime Minister's office said Raj Graywall is stepping down as MP for Brampton East in Ontario because of a gambling addiction. Graywall told the PMO he is receiving treatment and also that his addiction has led him to incur significant personal debts. An Uber driver in Toronto is facing charges for a series of alleged sexual assaults on female passengers. The 38-year-old is accused of carrying out four assaults over a one-year period. According to Toronto Police, the most recent happened just last month. Police say a woman was waiting for a taxi when he approached her. He told her he was an Uber driver and offered her a ride. He then allegedly refused to stop at her requested destination and sexually assaulted her. He is now charged with four counts of sexual assault 
and four counts of forcible confinement. The thousands of migrants who are now at the U.S.-Mexico border in Tijuana are the focus of a potential new policy that could change the way asylum seekers enter the United States. The story tonight from NBC. Tonight, as thousands of Central American migrants are stalled at the Tijuana border, another possible roadblock. A potential new deal between Mexico and the U.S. that would keep these migrants in Mexico while their asylum claims are considered in America. A process that could take months, even years. Mexico's government denies any such agreement. Meanwhile, the Trump administration is not confirming it either, but a spokesperson today said they are looking forward to working with the incoming Mexican president on a wide range of issues. Meanwhile, conditions in Tijuana are getting worse. The city's mayor saying his city is facing a humanitarian crisis and is appealing to the United Nations for help. Sanitation conditions dire. Children sleeping on the ground, families in crowded tents made of tarp and twigs, showering outdoors. Daily life here, dense and difficult. Inside this sports stadium, which was always meant to be a temporary makeshift shelter, these people may have to stay here indefinitely, just with an eye shot of the U.S. border. But Evelyn Martinez, eight months pregnant and traveling with her seven-year-old son, said she would wait as long as it takes. But not all migrants may be so patient, with reports that some may try and storm the border. These men rallying a group for an attempted crossing tomorrow at 5 a.m. Across the southwest, the border is now fortified with barbed wire, backed up by some 6,000 U.S. troops who have authorization to use lethal force. And, and Trump earlier this week threatening to shut down the border altogether. We're going to either have a border or we're not. And when they lose control of the border on the Mexico side, we just close the border. That proposed asylum deal we told you about wouldn't take effect until December 1st, giving the people in this overflowing camp just six days to cross the border and file an asylum claim in person on U.S. soil. A frightening scene in San Francisco as an out-of-control ferry crashed into a busy wharf. 53 people were on board this commuter vessel as it barreled into dock at the ferry building in San Francisco Friday afternoon. The boat hit a concrete promenade and a guardrail, damaging the hull. The cause is unknown, but investigators are looking into mechanical issues. Two minor injuries were reported. In India, at least 28 people, many of them school children, were killed when their bus crashed into a canal. Footage shows rescuers tying ropes to the submerged bus to try and lift it out of the water. Authorities blame driver error for the tragedy. Many of the dead were children returning home from school. A U.S. government report warns climate change could have a disastrous effect on the American economy, causing hundreds of billions of dollars in losses by the end of this century. President Donald Trump has repeatedly denied the impact of global warming, but chose not to hold back the report. Instead, he's released it in the middle of a busy long weekend in the U.S. Climate change-related weather events are expected to become more frequent and more intense, and that is going to hit the U.S. economy hard. That's the warning in an extensive report released by the U.S. government. It says low-income communities will be the most affected by global warming, and projects the economy could lose hundreds of billions of dollars by the end of the century in losses due to climate change. Agriculture in the Midwest will be one of the hardest-hit sectors. The report says rising temperatures will be the largest factor contributing to the decline in productivity there. People's health will also be affected. Illnesses like asthma and hay fever will become more common, 
There will also be an increase in ticks carrying Lyme disease and mosquitoes with Zika and dengue fever. The White House is dismissing the report, saying it's based on the most extreme scenarios for climate change. While the U.S. president has made no secret of his stance on the subject. Global warming and that, a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. We're going to cancel the Paris Climate Agreement. He's withdrawn the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord, has rolled back Obama-era regulations protecting the environment. And when cold weather hit the Northeast earlier this week, Trump tweeted, Brutal and extended cold blast could shatter all records. Whatever happened to global warming? Any leader who does not take climate change seriously is doing a disservice to the public. Now, the White House released the report a day after American Thanksgiving and on Black Friday, the busiest shopping day of the year. Critics say the timing here is not a coincidence. Inez Deliquitera, Global News, Washington. Hundreds have been injured in countrywide protests over a new carbon tax in France. Thousands of security personnel have been brought in to deal with the large crowds in Paris. The government raised the fuel tax by 7.6 cents per liter on diesel and 3.9 cents on regular gas. France's president has defended the hikes as necessary to reduce the country's dependence on fossil fuels, but promised to lay out plans next week to make the energy transition easier. An entire city block has been condemned after a suspected gas explosion in Minnesota, and it was all caught on video. A total of 11 people have been displaced by Friday's blast in St. Paul. A man in his 80s was found inside what remained of the home and taken to hospital where he is expected to recover. The fireball could be seen for kilometers. While the cause of the explosion is under investigation, it is suspected that natural gas was to blame. Treasures of the humankind have been unearthed in an, an ancient Egyptian tomb. Archaeologists discovered the 3,500-year-old mummies in perfect condition. The dig also discovered around 1,000 statues. Egypt is hoping these discoveries will brighten its image abroad and revive its flagging tourism industry. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Monday, they're trafficking fentanyl in Canada. One of our greatest national security threats we have in the country right now is organized crime. And they're making a killing. Thousands of people dying every year now, more than we've ever seen before. How overseas gangs are raking in billions from the deadly drug crisis. Of course it's coming from outside the country. And where they're cleaning the cash. The role of dirty money as being a type of financial fentanyl. Global News investigates Monday on Global National. A campaign is underway to recognize two Victoria-based Sea King pilots killed in a 1994 crash near New Brunswick. Bob Henderson and Wally Sweetman managed to save two crew members when their helicopter went down. More than two decades later, a former pilot who flew with the pair is pushing to have a highway renamed in their honor. Kristen Robinson reports. Bonded by a decades-old tragedy, Jim Newton and Cheryl Ann Henderson are moving forward on a common mission. It's a hard thing to remember. It 
it devastated our squadron. It, it was terrible. There will be no repairing of Sea King number 425 this time around. In April 1994, Henderson's husband Bob and fellow pilot Wally Sweetman died when their Sea King helicopter slammed into a hillside near St. John, New Brunswick. The Victoria-based 443 Squadron pilots had been transferring the Sea King to their home base in Patricia Bay when an engine malfunction fueled the fatal crash. Two crew members survived. Certainly we didn't anticipate that he would be gone at 47 years of age. They taught me how to be a pilot and um, I will never forget them. Newton, who flew with both Henderson and Sweetman, pushing for part of the Pat Bay Highway outside of Victoria, which runs alongside 443 Squadron, to be memorialized in honor of the fallen pilots. It would be nice to have some acknowledgement, although it's, 20, it's coming up on 25 years since they both passed. The Trans-Canada between Langley and Abbotsford is officially dedicated as the Highway of Heroes for Canadian soldiers who lost their lives in Afghanistan. Newton says even a sign for Henderson and Sweetman along the Pat Bay would be nice. Next week, the Sea King will be retired after 55 years at their former home base. It would be a proud moment to also honour Bob and Wally at the same time. For the families that remain behind, we live with it every day. And that's for the rest of your life. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a desperate call for stem cell donors to help save a young man's life. Organizers of Match for Martin in Richmond are urging people, particularly those of a Southeast Asian background, to register to the stem cell donor database to potentially save someone's life. Martin Lintag, who is of Filipino descent, has been battling leukemia since early July and has yet to find a compatible donor. Only 2% of people on Canada's stem cell and marrow registry are from Southeast Asia. So if you're mixed ethnicity, uh, if you're one of minority groups, then their pool, essentially you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And their haystack is so much smaller when uh, compared to Caucasian patients. So with the Filipino community, less than 1% of our database is of Filipino descent. And right now we've got 29 patients of Filipino descent that are searching for a match. So they need our help. Another interior ski hill has opened for the season. There they go, Silver Star Mountain Resort near Vernon fired up the lifts today. This is the first winter season for the new gondola, which opened for scenic rides back in July. Recent snowfall meant there was just enough powder for the upper half of the mountain to open. It was a blue sky day and about 2,000 skiers and boarders turned out. The gondola here and uh, you just go up there, it's just a nice feeling, beautiful view. See all the mountains, all the clouds and stuff and you're just, you're just floating on the powder. More snow is in the forecast for Silver Star this week, so there's a good chance more terrain could open by next weekend. I looked up at the North Shore Mountains the other day, Yvonne, saw a light dusting of snow, but now I'm concerned it's all washed away. <laughs> That's true, and temperatures are going to be warming up for a few areas. It was mild today, but as we get in towards the week, we do have another chance to see some snow for the Alpine and higher elevations. Right now, we're reporting dry conditions out of the airport. Good evening, everyone. Temperatures are sitting at 7 with a light wind at... Uh, 
Easterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. The next 24 hours this evening and overnight, it will remain dry across the south coast. We'll still see cloud cover, and then it's by the afternoon and likely towards the evening hours that we're going to see that next round of moisture pushing in. Today is the calm before the storm and a drier start for a Sunday, and I'll have more on the warnings that are in effect in just a moment. Here's a glance at what we're seeing on the satellite and radar. Just a few isolated showers along the island this evening, but it'll be cloud cover through the overnight tonight. We do have that push of moisture moving in right across coastal sections. It'll be heaviest across the south coast by tomorrow evening and overnight for our Sunday into Mondays when we'll see some of the heaviest rain with very windy conditions. The following spots we're already starting to see a wind warning that has been issued for Haida Gwaii as well as northern sections of Vancouver Island. A southeasterly wind 90 with gusts of up to 110 kilometers per hour and that'll be through the day tomorrow. All of the areas that are indicated in blue we're seeing a special weather statement right along the Sunshine Coast, Howe Sound, Fraser, the Fraser Valley and Metro Vancouver where we're going to be seeing gusty winds. This will develop Sunday evening in towards our Tuesday and a significant amount of rain where there is the potential. So stay tuned that we could see rainfall warnings as well as more wind warnings that will be popping up. For the piece tomorrow, nice dry start, but by the evening hours there is some instability. We could see the risk of freezing rain or ice pellets. For your Monday, a clearing is on the way. Most areas near Whitehorse tomorrow, very chilly, feeling closer to minus 15 underneath a mainly cloudy sky and a southeasterly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. Coastal sections will see very wet and windy conditions with that system pushing in. Southeasterly, 40 in a few areas near the water could get up to 80 kilometers per hour. Caribou and central interior through the day tomorrow, it's a chance of flurries, but by the evening hours, we could see the risk of freezing rain and then it changes back over to rain for your Monday. Day. Columbia and Kootenai region a dry day tomorrow. Some morning fog patches by the afternoon. Temperatures bumping up to five. Tops in Okanagan seeing another day of sunshine. More of a clearing will be on the way by the afternoon. Tomorrow evening for the interior sections we're seeing a chance of flurries and we could see some wet snow for your Monday. Whistler will see that mixed precipitation for the early morning hours tomorrow and along the island we're keeping a close eye. It'll be by the afternoon that northern and central sections could see that rain moving in and then all areas across the south coast. We'll see a heavier push of rain moving in with the next storm. That'll be for tomorrow evening. It'll remain unsettled and very windy conditions once again. Stay tuned, but it's Monday, Tuesday, very unsettled. Temperatures will be mild. We're back into the double digits with 11. Jordan? All right, thanks, Yvonne. Canucks in action tonight, but a lot of people still talking about last night's game. <laughs> well, when the team's not uh, playing well, you, you put your yep. mark on anything you can get, it's true. so to speak. Right? <laughs> We'll call it He's that. here all we'll weekend. Go that. That's right. Try the veal. All right. Thank you, sir. Antoine Roussel will be in the lineup for the Canucks tonight as they try to snap an eight-game losing streak in L.A. against the last-place Kings. Roussel was fined $5,000 for biting the Sharks' Mark Edward Vlasic last night. It happened late in the game, a scrum along the board. Roussel getting into it with Vlasic. Vlasic shoved his bare fist into Roussel's face, in fairness, and Roussel can't resist. Bites down on Vlasic's fist. $5,000 fine, the maximum allowable. I like Roussel's tenacity, but obviously went overboard there. He joins Alex Burroughs as the latest Canuck taking a bite out of the opposition. Burroughs, of course, bit Patrice Bergeron back in the 2011 Stanley Cup final.
All right. Jets and Blues from St. Louis. Patrick Lyonnais on some kind of tear. Six goals in his last three games. Look at the release from this guy. The cameraman can't keep up with him. His 15th of the year, 2-1 Jets. Second period tied at two. Lyonnais again. Does not score ugly goals either, by the way. Another ridiculous one-timer on the Blake Wheeler pass. 3-2 Jets. More to come. Three-on-one rush. That's a hat trick. As uh, Line A now has 17 to tie for the league lead. He's not done yet before the period's over. That's number four. 6 2 Jets, 18th of the year to lead the league. And third period, guess who? Line A from the slot zips it in the corner. That's his fifth. 7 3 is the score. Daryl Sittler was the last guy to get six in a game back in the 70s. Leafs and Flyers from Toronto. Lots of goals in this one, too. First period, Andreas Janssen showing his great speed, pulls away and fires his second of the period already. 2-0 Leafs, and later on, Janssen with the steal, comes out of the corner, quick hands, goes five-hole there on Calvin Pickard. Hat-trick in the first period for Janssen, and the Leafs are laying it on thick. It should be a 6-0 now, Toronto, in the third. Caps and Rangers this afternoon. Cup champs starting to play better after a bit of a sluggish start. Alex Ovechkin, all that partying with the Stanley Cup hasn't affected his production. Nice redirect of the John Carlson feed. 3-2 Washington, OV's 17th. Third period, Rangers tie it. Ryan Strom gets his first on Broadway after being traded from the Oilers a week ago. Nice work on the wraparound to make it 3-all, but with under 7 to go off the rush. Carlson to Brett Connolly, the former Prince George Cougar, hammers home the one-timer. Caps win 5-3. They're first in the Metropolitan now, 13-7-3 record. The 106th Grey Cup goes tomorrow in Edmonton. Red Blacks and Stampeders, second time in three years. These two teams will meet in the big game. Red Blacks shocked the Stamps in overtime a couple of years ago. And Ottawa is coming off a blowout win over Hamilton. But Calgary's defense has been hard to beat all season. Should be a good one. We hope it is. 3.30 kickoff our time tomorrow. Vanier Cup, University Football Championship. Laval and Western, rematch of last year, which Western won, but Laval jumps out early. Hugo Richard with the touchdown pass to Benoit Gagnon-Brousseau. 17-7 Laval, late fourth. The Rouge Or put this one to bed. It's Alexis Cote with the touchdown run. Laval gets revenge on Western. They win the Vanier Cup 34-20. It's Laval's record 10th Vanier Cup, and they've all come in the last 19 years. That's a dominant program there in Laval. BC High School football, the AAA semifinals from BC Place. The early game, Mount Douglas from Victoria taking on Van College Fighting Irish. Van College in purple, quarterback Eric Zaklinski with the bullet pass to Jason Soriano for the touchdown. Irish jump out 6-0, but back come Mount Doug. Sebastian Hansen takes the handoff, runs it in for the score. Rams take the lead 7-6, and then before the half, quarterback Gideon Kremler will do it himself. Gets the touchdown, and Mount Doug has just won it with a dramatic late field goal. 31-28 the final. Later tonight, it's New Westminster and Terry Fox Ravens in the other semifinal. Still to come, Chanel breaks down the Seahawks' massive matchup in Carolina tomorrow in the red zone. And can anyone stop Manchester City in the English Premiership? Spoiler alert, it wasn't West Ham today. Highlights coming up. 
Welcome back. The Seahawks can take a giant step towards a wildcard uh, playoff berth with the win on the road tomorrow in Carolina. The Panthers currently lead the Seahawks by a game in the playoff chase, but Seattle can catch them if they can pull off the upset in a very tough place to get a road victory. More from Chanel in the red zone. The Seahawks begin week 12 controlling their own destiny to get into the playoffs. A win at Carolina will give Seattle tie breaks against three conference foes, which could be the difference when it comes to those two wildcard spots. Now the Hawks face a Panthers side losers of two straight and a team they've dominated in recent years. Can you not be impressed by the run game? Behind a three-headed monster, Seattle is number one on the ground, rushing for more than 150 yards in seven straight games. That's tied for the third longest streak in the last 40 years. Now Carolina is eighth against the run, but the Hawks run the ball more than any team in the NFL, about 54% of their offensive plays. Frank Clark leads a crew tied for ninth with 29 team sacks. He has 10 of them. Now in the last three wins, Seattle has 14 sacks, so pressuring the quarterback will be the key Sunday morning. Now Cam Newton has been sacked just 20 times, but eight of them coming in the last two weeks look for Seattle to attack that offensive line. Christian McCaffrey is one of the most dynamic players in the league. He's in the top 10 when it comes to all-purpose yards, 1,128 of them. Four touchdowns on the ground, four more through the air. Now, Seattle has had trouble with these dual-threat players. Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, and Melvin Gordon, three of the top five in that category, have shredded Seattle for 534 total yards and five touchdowns. If McCaffrey gets loose, Seattle could be in trouble. The defense has struggled recently, allowing 72 points in the last two weeks. However, the secondary has been deadly. 11 interceptions, fourth most in the NFL. The key will be stopping the run. The Panthers allow just 99 yards a game. The Hawks are a three-point road underdog, but are 6-2 in their last eight meetings and have won three straight regular season games at Carolina, allowing an average of just eight points a game. All right, English Premiership Saturday, another fun day for Leroy Sané and league-leading Manchester City visiting West Ham today. 11th minute, Raheem Sterling to David Silva. Clever little redirect for the goal. City off and running, 20th minute. Sané, quick move and the cross to Raheem Sterling. It's 2-0 City. And then more brilliance later in the half as Sterling will volley it to Sané, who has the poise to just wait and finish too easy for City. 4-0 the final. They still haven't lost. 11 wins, 2 draws through 13. They're in first place. 40 goals, 4, just 5 against. They are dominant. Jurgen Klopp, second place Liverpool, trying to keep their unbeaten record intact, visiting Watford. Scoreless until the 67th. And who else but Mo Salah running onto this... Sadi Omane cross, sixth goal in the last seven for Salah. 1-0 Liverpool, and they'll add to the lead. Free kick here for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Blisters it over the wall. 3-0 the final. Their record now 10 wins, 3 draws. Liverpool remain two points back of Man City. Tottenham taking on Chelsea in front of 80,000 plus at Wembley. Chelsea trying to stay unbeaten with Man City and Liverpool, but Spurs execute the free kick. 
Christian Eriksen driving one in. Deli Ali with the glancing header. 1-0 Spurs. And then Harry Kane on the run from distance. May have taken a deflection off a defender. Son Hung Min added another Spurs kick Chelsea from the ranks of the unbeaten. 3-1 the final. They also hop over Chelsea in the standings. So Chelsea at 30 points, five back or uh, Spurs rather, five back, Chelsea or seven back of Man City. In the World Cup of Golf, final round, Canada's Nick Taylor, Adam Hadwin in eighth. Alternate shot format today, Hadwin knocks in the birdie. Canada off to a good start right now. They're fifth right now, just uh, one stroke out of second. Belgium leads the way at 20 under. Final results and highlights tonight at 11. Of course, it's Sunday over there in Australia. And some breaking news, good news for lacrosse fans. The NLL season is going to go ahead the players and uh, owners have come to an agreement. No word yet on when it will start. But the Vancouver Warriors, of course, right. are going to play out of uh, Rogers Arena. So more on that in the days to come. Stay tuned. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 56 and three new centimeters of snow. Sasquatch opening December 15th. Revelstoke opening December 1st, Ferdy November 30th, Manning Park opening weekend starting December 1st, Whitewater opening December 7th. Big White with a base of 78 and 8 new centimeters of snow, Silver Star base of 91, Sun Peak 77. Kicking Horse in Mount Washington opening December 7th, Powder King with a base of 75 centimeters. All right, history will be made tomorrow during the Grey Cup. For the first time ever, the CFL will have a Spanish-language broadcast. Do you guys speak Spanish? No. Si, senor. No. <laughs> anyway, Glo- Global's Julia Wong <laughs> caught up with the sportscasters. A sneak peek in Spanish from the sidelines at the final preparations for Sunday's Grey Cup. This pair, the first ever Spanish sportscasters for the biggest game in Canadian football. Aaron Soriano has been doing football play-by-play in Spanish for 20 years. He says interest in the CFL is high in Mexico. Football is uh, the second second sports in, in all the country in Mexico. He'll be joined by Frank Beltre, a football player with the Toronto Argonauts. Beltre was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. He was tapped to provide analysis because he's the only fluent Spanish speaker in the entire league. And, um, they gave me a call. I could have turned it down. Never done it, but I, I, love, I love a challenge. Beltre says there are some challenges with calling a game in Spanish. I learned football in English. So, for example, a tackle, in Spanish, there's no such word. Though Soriano is ready to assist. The flag is castigo, fumble, eh, balón suelto, touchdown, anotación. Saturday, the pair checked out their play-by-play booth. They'll sit alongside French and English commentators. It's clear there's chemistry between the two. He's my main guy. He helps me. I feel good. And they're ready to divide the workload. Oh, maybe 60-40. He definitely going to do 60. I'm definitely going to do 40. As for Soriano... He's excited for the broadcast. Play by play in one game of the football is it's, it's my passion and it's the first time here in, in the stadium in CFL and it's great. Great for Spanish-speaking fans ready for a taste of Canadian football. Julia Wong, Global News. Pretty cool. And kickoff is when tomorrow? Uh, 3.30 our time. I'm sure they'll throw in a Hasta La Vista, baby. Oh, they have to. Everything just sounds better in Spanish. It does. I like that guy's voice. Yeah. Storm is coming our way. (laughs) Storm is coming our way. Uh, Brace for it, especially late day tomorrow, but it'll be a nice dry start to our Sunday. All right. Thanks. That is the news hour. Thank you for watching. We'll see you at 11. Good night. Adios. (laughs) 